And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me on the phone line today is Pastor John Shishko. John, it's an honor to have you on with us. Thank you, Dan, for having me. It's an honor to be on the show. You're the pastor of Queen's Reformation Presbyterian Church. And before we get to our question, which is going to be about the book of Philippians today, um, I'm wondering if you would just share with us quickly, obviously your church is in Queens, but if uh, someone wanted to go to your church uh, tomorrow, let's say, and they wanted to find yeah. it, where, where are you guys located exactly? Sure. I mean, uh, you would find a school building with various things going on, but on Sunday morning at that school building, one of the things going on in that school building is our service, so you would be welcome to join us on any Sunday. Our service is right at 10 a.m., and we meet in Public School 173 in Fresh Meadows. I guess the best way to find out more about us is our website, which is queensreformation.org, queensreformation.org. We're right in the middle of Queens, New York City, and um, rent a public school to have church, which is how we got started and what we still do. That's very interesting, and we could talk uh, for a long time just about that itself, the irony of actually being in the public school but uh, renting the public school building. And oftentimes the public school is not very open to Christianity, but at least they allow you to lease the building during that time. So that's really positive. Yeah, we've had a tremendous relationship with them and the wonderful staff there at Public School 173, and I'm, I'm very thankful for our time to be there. And to tell you the truth, in many ways, it's such a strength. It's uh, not as daunting as going into a church building. Yeah. And um, it's right in the heart of a neighborhood. So we've been very active at reaching out to that specific neighborhood that is in so many ways defined by that, that public school. So we're very thankful for it. That is such a blessing to hear. And um, so today, um, you suggested, actually, uh, before we open the mic, that we talk a little bit about the book of Philippians. And you've been meditating and working through a passage here in Philippians. And so I'm just going to let you take it from here and tell us what's on your heart, and, and then we'll talk about these things. Sure. Yeah, there's uh, a, a verse in Philippians 1, which I think many of us have memorized and, and should have memorized because it's short. It's a great verse to have on a plaque, maybe in the living room or on a bumper sticker or to tweet out whenever you see it. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And um, it has struck me in these uh, past days, especially as outlining the Christian life as a win-win situation, and I think that that is a message that is timely for all of us. So that's really why I wanted to focus on it. Yeah. Um, right from the start, I appreciate the fact that you're calling this a win-win situation. Uh, I, I know in my own life, when I look at that verse and think about it, uh, my eyes immediately go towards the end of the verse and, and think about the, the glories that await the Christian uh, at the end of life as we um, go to be with the Lord. But there's much more to the verse. Can can you yeah. uh, help us unwrap it a little bit? 
Yeah, I think you're hitting the nail on the head right there. But I think we read this verse and, um, you know, it's funny. I, I have about 20 different translations right in front of me because I wanted to see if they all got right uh, for me to live is Christ. Because I think we instinctively read this and sort of interpret it as to live is for Christ and to die is gain. Sort of like I fail at this life all the time, but when I'm living for Christ, that's pretty good. And then dying is certainly gain. And that's a way to sort of jump to the end of it. Mm -hmm. And what's amazing about Paul is, you know, the same Paul would in Romans 7 say, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And, and that's the, the Paul who is a believer in Romans 7. Right. And in the pastoral epistles, the same Paul, a believer, doesn't say, I was the chief of sinners, but I am the chief of sinners, or the uh, sinners of whom I am chief. And it, Paul, at the same time, has such a high view of union with the Lord Jesus Christ, a, a living, vital union, that he says, you know, life is Christ. Right now, eternal life in Christ is right now, and me and my failures and all the times I've messed up, my anxieties, my doubts, my fears, um, my failures, my ups and my downs, that's all a life in Christ. And to die could only be gain. Mm -hmm. And it, it's a win-win. So I think in many ways what we're seeing here is how strange it is that anybody walks away from amazing grace. I mean, why would you ever <laughs> walk away from something that is so comprehensive that it's saying it's a win right now. You come to um, the Lord Jesus Christ and simply admit your flaws and imperfections. And he comes to you in his grace and says, uh, you and all of your sin included because of me, and my entire life of sin excluded means that you live now in me. And, mm. you know, this is really, it's, this is Paul's way for me to live as Christ. This is Paul's way of saying the most famous verse in the Bible, uh, that we would not perish but have eternal life. That's a life in yeah. Christ, and that's not a life that begins when we die. It's a life that begins right now. Yeah, that's really neat. Uh, so very helpful. We've heard Christians, um, probably since we've been young, say you must be born again, and uh, it's a relationship with Christ, and it really is. It really is a relationship with Christ. Um, now, Paul, as he's writing this letter to the Philippians, uh, I believe he's jailed, is he not? Correct, and you got to understand that sort of a context. Here's a man who's used to being out, uh, on adventures, um, on boats and ships, traveling from church to church. And now he's cooped up, and as much as we're afraid of prison today, it could only be worse back then. Oh, and, yeah. of course, there's times Paul spent in house arrest, so we don't exactly know what his circumstances were, but he was certainly confined, um, and that had to be a source of tremendous grief for Paul on a regular basis. So you could understand why he would look at death and contemplate how dying is gain. But I think what we miss as Christians, especially born again, those who understand that we're born again believers, is we kind of think, well, it's really good that the Lord saved me in this life, and I look forward to seeing him in person face to face. In the meantime, 
what am I supposed to do? And <laughs> am I doing well enough? And uh, how is God using me? And here Paul from prison is writing, even here in prison, to live as Christ. Yeah. And if Christ is your first love, it doesn't, it really doesn't get better than that. So it's a win in this life for to live as Christ, and it's a win in the next life to die as gain. It's a win-win. Now, uh, apparently, um, the witness of Paul was blessed by God, uh, even in prison, because he talks about um, the faith uh, becoming evident to the whole palace guard <laughs> and, and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. There was quite a profound effect here uh, on this prison, apparently, with Paul in it. Yeah, and I've heard pastors speak about the Apostle Paul as if he's sort of like, not quite Jesus Christ himself, but pretty close because of how amazing he was. And of course, he wrote, you know, one-third of the New Testament. But I think it's so helpful for us as Christians to stop and say, no, in Paul's own words, he's a man of like passion as we are. Right. And um, instead of Christ only giving us himself as an example, he gives us the example of a sinner, and a sinner who is saved by grace like Paul, and a sinner who is in prison and who could easily lament his, the, what felt like futility, easily um, despair over what he was doing and how he was spending his life, who could literally look at his own chains and and wonder what on earth was going on. And I think that is so helpful for us to just sort of argue from the greater to the lesser and say, if Paul was literally in chains and used so mightily of God and continues to be used so mightily of God today, he was living Christ, even in chains. So, <laughs> you know, bring that into your own experience, whether it's changing one more diaper or putting up with a husband who's really difficult to love, or putting up with children that get on your last nerve so quickly, or in a job that's just, you know, stressing you, and uh, putting up with a boss who is hard to work for, and hard to work with, and hard to represent. It's so easy for us to look at this life and to despair, and instead you look and you say, no, uh, Jesus Christ bore a cross, the Apostle Paul bore a cross, even if I was in prison and in chains, I'm going to have to insist on the Word of God that to live this life is Christ, and God's providence is better than my plans. Yeah, oh yeah. And um, Paul seemed to have this uh, Great Commission vision, where even though he's trapped in prison, um, first of all, he's joyful. He's talking about Every prayer of his, uh, making requests for you all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel, uh, how greatly he longed for them with the affection of Jesus Christ. But um, his uh, goal is to advance the gospel, to see more and more people come to faith in Jesus Christ, and to see uh, their lives, and even culture, transformed by the gospel. Uh, I don't... I think this is a wonderful example for us to not become so self-focused, but to look yeah. out, you know, to, to really look out and, and see what God is doing. Well, again, it's uh, like the Lord's Prayer, Our Father which art in heaven, it's not my God who is in heaven or my Jesus who is in heaven. Um, you can't say to live as Christ without being brought into touch with 
thousands, millions of people that the Lord Jesus Christ is reaching out to and converting and changing and transforming. And yeah, Paul is all about that missionary call, going to all the earth and spreading the good news of Jesus Christ, teaching and baptizing. That's what the Apostle Paul did. Now, uh, he also apparently uh, had some angst in a way, or something that could have been angst, and that was some of the people that were preaching Christ uh, weren't maybe maybe doing it out of a sincere heart. He kind of talked about that prior to this verse you're you're looking at more closely. Um, some of them preach from selfish ambition. Can you describe yeah. how he handled that? Yeah, that's been one of the most helpful verses as a pastor. So many times somebody will come to me and say, oh, what about this person on TV? Or have you heard about this church and what they're proclaiming? And what Paul says is, in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. And again, you kind of (laughs) see this invincible uh, insistence on joy by a win-win situation. It's like, okay, so there's churches that are less than as faithful as they should be. There's churches that preach error. But what Paul is saying is, yeah, but think about it. The Word of God is getting out through um, means that we, that aren't in our control. The the name of Christ is spreading, and I'm going to rejoice in that, and I'm going to insist on rejoicing in that. Um, So it's a marvelous picture of Paul in a prison and him refusing to become jaded and cynical and down and out and despairing and disappointed. And you, you have to envision it as a fight, a fight for joy and him reasoning these things out in his own mind. And then God bringing him through the Holy spirit to write them to the church of his own age. And now today saying, it's not just when you die that you gain Christ. It's right now that you have Christ and yeah. to live as Christ and to die as gain. Yeah. Good point. Uh, Later on in this uh, chapter 1, he has some words in the last three or four verses, his exhortation, if you will, to the afflicted. What is his message there? Well, it's a remarkable thing, and I think this sets us apart, the Christian faith apart from, well, secularism, but also a lot of other religions that don't really prepare us to suffer. Um, but, yeah, the closing verses, it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that I saw you had and now hear that I still have. And Paul is saying that part of the Christian's duty, part of the Christian's privilege, oddly enough, is to be like Jesus Christ in bearing a cross. And I always make this very clear. We're not bearing the cross. Jesus Christ bore the cross, but we bear our cross, and and that's referring to obedience in times of conflict, in times of hardship, in times of satanic assault, in times of uh, circumstances that we just don't understand. And there, I think, that's where you got to flip to the second part of the win. You know, to die is gain. Um, it's all well and good to be able to say, no matter what happens, I'm living Christ. But then what if something wipes you out? And the Apostle Paul was wiped out. I mean, in all likelihood, he had his head chopped off and was a martyr for Jesus Christ. What if that happens to me? What if that happens while I still have children? What about earthquakes and wars and 
starvation and poverty and child starvation and all of the dark, terrible things of life. What about circumstance? And I think what we have Paul here saying is death can only bring gain. And you have this way of going through suffering that's a win because your Savior you're suffered before you and now you're in union with him and to live is for him. But dying, dying is only bringing you a gain. Instead of seeing dimly, we'll see Christ face to face. Instead of understanding things through the a revealed word written before us will be able to communicate with the word made flesh Jesus Christ directly and um, so I I think you have to take both parts of the verse uh, and not discount the life that you have in Christ right now and at the same time not really fret and worry about circumstances because the worst they can bring is death and death will only bring you gain so it's a (laughs) win-win um we often consider um, the kingdom of God because Jesus did, and, it, and it's all through the, the Bible. And, and yet that kingdom is um, sometimes misunderstood. You know, you think, oh, I always have to be winning. Uh, well, no, right. God, God wins. <laughs> yeah, and God so, wins. And so if there's a martyr, um, somehow that works out in such a way that the gospel spreads. It's an unusual win. And, and yet the yeah. gospel is is spreading, and Jesus is more and more uh, establishing his his uh, obvious reign in this world. Talk to us, if you would, about um, that mom, that dad at home. Uh, dad's out working, possibly mom is also, but these children, uh, we like to call them covenant children that are blessed to a family by the Lord. That's a lot of work, and um, I, I, I think I noticed someplace and maybe a tagline in your in your email something about classical conversations. Sure. Uh, are, if you're involved with that at all, I was wondering if you could segue to that in this discussion today sure. with, within this context of living for Christ and and that sort of thing. Could you talk to us about the home and about? training, you know, training and raising our children. Yeah, I'm a father of uh, three children. I have a wonderful wife, and we live in New York, so our decision was to homeschool, and we do it through a tremendous homeschool group called Classical Conversations. And um, our children are uh, 10, 8, and 6 at the moment. And they've only been homeschooled, but it's been through this uh, co-op group, which teaches God in everything and reminds students over and over that you really can't study any subject without it being in reference to God. So it's never just math or just science or just history. There's no such thing as just anything. It's each subject as it relates to God in and through Jesus Christ. And as far as being covenantal and raising our children, I always think the Lord's Prayer is the best way to start with that. Teach your children Mm -hmm. the Lord's Prayer. Teach them from the beginning of their days to pray. Our Father, remind them that we are a family marked out to be saved by God, and we're a family that is called to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and to worship Him and to call upon Him as our Father, and to ask for forgiveness from the youngest of ages. And I don't know why anybody would ever wait on that. It doesn't make any sense to me that 
Right. Um, you would assume that a child who actually has a better understanding and grasp and a less muddled understanding and grasp of sin and right and wrong should wait until for some moment in time. You just teach them from the earliest of days that there's sin, the need for forgiveness, that there's repentance, that there's salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, we get to do that through school as well as in the home. Yeah. I seem to recall that that was the model in Timothy's life, as I recall. Correct. Yeah. His uh, grandmother, was it Lois, I think maybe her name was? Yeah, that was it. Uh, Grandmother Lois and Mother Eunice. Yeah, I mean, that's really the model throughout the entire Bible. Uh, You just see uh, a generation raising the next generation. You see God's insistence on um, raising the next generation, being taught. I love Deuteronomy 6 when it speaks about when you rise up and when you lie down and when you walk by the way, which is, uh, you know, teach your children when you rise up, when you lie down, and when you walk by the way. And what that's saying is just all the time, just constantly teaching them the ways of the Lord and the glory of being in touch with the Redeemer who saves us from our sins. Yeah. Well, today we're talking with Pastor John Shishko. He pastors the church, Queens Reformation Presbyterian Church, and uh, they meet in Fresh Meadows at Public School 173. And um, we have maybe three or four minutes left. Uh, Now, what about that person who's out there listening today who has terrible duress of soul? Uh, Maybe they have a spouse who has been unfaithful, a spouse who they don't communicate well with, uh, terrible hurts. Um, in, in a way, they're, they're suffering, and in a way, there's some kind of a connection here to the Apostle Paul's suffering. Uh, any encouragement for that dear soul who is terribly hurt, terribly cast down, not knowing where to turn next? Yeah, my friend and I A pastor friend of mine and uh, I often exchange a line that we don't know why, but we do know who. And you come here and, you know, one of the the marvels of the Christian faith is that it enables us to also ask why and not necessarily get an answer. And Jesus asks why from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mm. Um, And... In many ways, the answer to that is so that we never will be forsaken, and yet at the same time, as we've already seen during the show, we suffer for his sake. And I, I think the comfort is to know that your life, inclusive of the suffering, in many ways through the suffering and because of the suffering, is a life that is Christ. And it's the way in which Jesus Christ is alive and at work teaching whoever you are that are really suffering and in travail of soul and in agony, teaching you that Christ is your first love and you can't lose Christ. You can't, no one can take him from you. Nobody can divorce you from him. And uh, you have, in so many ways, our response is supposed to be, I have Christ and all this. And instead we focus on all this and we forget about Christ and he uses suffering to bring us back to that place where we say that's right for me for me to live is Christ and that can't be taken from me mm. and if i even if this suffering brings me to death itself that would only be gain 
Mm. Amen. One last question in the half a minute remaining. Um, Tomorrow being the Lord's Day, people um, start thinking about church. And uh, how would you like to see your your folks prepare themselves for the Lord's Day and coming to church to, to worship corporately? That's very very simple answer. Prayer, just pray, pray. You know, pray to the first love, Jesus Christ, and say, teach, teach all of us, teach each of us, from the oldest to the youngest, to love Jesus Christ first, and something of what it is to love Him with heart, strength, soul, and mind as we worship together tomorrow. Amen. Our guest today has been John Shishko. He's a pastor of Queens Reformation Presbyterian Church. They meet at Public School 173 in Fresh Meadows every Lord's Day. And, uh, John, what time is your service there? The service is right at 10 a.m., and the website, again, is queensreformation.org. We have visitors every Sunday, and we'd love for anybody to visit with us and to get to meet you and to know you as a friend. Amen. Well, God bless you, dear brother John. And, uh, dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer.